Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is a new Comics Wednesday episode. We're back, uh, hoping to go back and backfill as well with the, the ones that we missed. Uh, although, I don't know how necessary it'll be. But as always, new Comics Wednesday episode, spoiler-free. So I'm going to talk about some of the books I've had a chance to read so far this week. Uh, if you're looking for DC stuff, I will remind you, as always, we haven't missed any DC weeks. Um, so DC comes out on Tuesday. We review it on Tuesday. There are spoilers for the DC books that I review with Rocky from Comic Boom. So if you're looking for that episode, it dropped yesterday. You can find it on the Comic Boom YouTube channel or on the regular podcast feed. But again, there are spoilers. Uh, spoiler free here on New Comics Wednesday. I'm going to talk about some image books and some Marvel books, uh, and I'll go through a rundown of some other titles that you might want to be interested in picking up that come out today. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm very behind on my comic reading other than DC. Um, doing it with Rocky has kept me up to date on that, but a lot of the other stuff I'm still trying to catch up on after a very busy uh, first part of the year. So rededicating uh, ourselves here at the Comic Source Podcast to getting multiple episodes out a week. Uh, New Comics Wednesday is a very important one. I know a lot of people have been missing it. So bring it back and uh, hopefully you guys are out there and enjoying it. So uh, with all that being said, before I dive into this week's books, I do want to mention the passing of an absolute legend. John Ramita Sr., uh, has passed away, sadly, at the age of 93, lived a very full life, started working in comics way, way back. Uh, he was born in 1930, and I think his first work in comics was around 1949 or so. Certainly worked a lot through the 50s, a lot of romance comics, especially over at DC, some horror and some war uh, comics as well, but really known for romance stuff at DC before he uh, eventually joined Marvel as romance comics started to go out of style, as it were. Came over to uh, Marvel. At the time, it was still uh, timely comics uh, when he did a little bit of work there, uh, but then the iteration that we know Marvel Comics to be now, his first work on superhero stuff was um, doing some inking uh, on Jack Kirby's cover and Don Heck's pencils on the Avengers number 23. And he got, um, it's funny, he actually didn't want a pencil. He wanted to just ink. He was burnt out from doing um, just so many years, eight years of romance comics drawing constantly. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of money. I mean, you make like $200 a week. Maybe if you're just killing yourself with long hours. And so he, he didn't want to do that anymore. He, well, it was easier to ink people. That's what he wanted to do. Stan Lee convinced him to take on the penciling duties on Daredevil. And uh, there was a growing rift at that time between Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, as we know, Ditko would eventually leave the title, uh, as we now know. Um, and so Stan actually had a crossover, had Spider-Man show up in Daredevil because he was curious to see what Ramita's Spider-Man would look like. And that led to Ramita eventually getting the Spider-Man gig. And I think for a lot of people, uh, certainly in my generation, th that is Spider-Man. Um, that is what he looks like. It's sort of like the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Superman, right? Because it wasn't just in comics. That version was on merchandise. It's what you saw on t-shirts and, um, uh, you know, glasses and uh, cups and just all kinds of toys and, and the marketing, even the packaging that other things came in. That was the Spider-Man you saw. That was Ramita uh, Sr. And, you know, he, he brought a lot of new characters in. Uh, Mary Jane, obviously, being one of the, the biggest that he brought in. And so uh, he certainly left his mark, you know, uh, a lot of classic villains as well. Rhino, Shocker. Uh, he was the first one to draw Kingpin. So he, he really established a look for Spider-Man and, and worked on it for a, a lot of issues. And, and, you know, he was such a, an incredible artist and an incredible draftsman. He sort of became the de facto art director. You know, Stan was handling a lot of those duties as well as, you know, writing books and scripting books, or I should say plotting books and scripting books and, and also, you know, handling editorial, uh, duties as editor-in-chief so it was a lot 
So a lot of the art director duties sort of fell onto uh, Ramita. And so they gave him some help on Spider-Man, but then Stan was always p- pulling him in to do other things and it wasn't really saving any time. So eventually he, uh, Ramita did sort of transition to be, uh, being officially named art director. And in that role, again, just very influential um, after it was uh, announced by his son, John Romita Jr., who's uh, a very successful comic book artist in his own right. Um, there was just an outpouring of stories on Twitter, on social media, about what a genuinely nice guy Ramita Sr. was. I unfortunately never had the chance to meet him, but so many artists credit him as not just um, being open with critique of their work and, and willing to give them feedback, but the gentle way he did it, the respectful way that he did it, never condescending, always speaking to them as a, as a peer. And uh, I just think that that's fantastic. I mean, I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about John Romita Sr., which, you know, in the industry of comics is, is quite rare. So, uh, but again, he, he, he had such a incredible role as art director in those formative years of the seventies, when tons of characters that are household names now were created. And he had a hand in a lot of their designs, whether it be Punisher, Wolverine, Luke Cage, uh, Brother Voodoo, Black Widow, um, just a, a lot of different uh, different characters. And so uh, it's it's sad to hear of his passing. He he certainly lived a wonderful life. Um, I've met uh, John Romita Jr. several times, and I'm not always a fan of his art style, but he is a super nice guy. And, you know, his father was uh, just a huge role model for him. And you know, when you meet somebody and you, um, you really genuinely like them as a person, I think that says a lot about the way they were raised and who their parents are. It, it reflects well. Um, I can think of, you know, any number of creators that I've met and then had a chance to meet their parents. It's, it's a few. Um, and you, you, you really understand when you meet their parents, like why they're so great because their parents are great too. And I think that's certainly the case with, uh, John Romita senior, um, as his son has uh, has also um, made some heartfelt remarks on on social media, so it, it's the passing of a legend. Um, Ninety three, so you you know you get up there t- to that age, and and you sort of expect it. You know your time is limited, uh, but it's still tough. Like we're we're losing that that first gener- generation of of creators. You know that really brought comics you know, more toward a modern art form Um, in the sixties, in the fifties we're losing a lot of them. And I I say it all the time, whenever one of these legendary creators passes that, man, if if one of these creators is somebody who's really had an effect on you, you're a huge fan of them. If they're at a show that you're that's close by, if you have a chance to go and see them and tell them how much they've meant to you, a hundred percent do it. A hundred percent do it. Um, you know, I've told the story many times about meeting Ramona Fraden, who drew the first comic I ever read when I was like four years old or th- whatever, three years old, four years old, I guess. Um, a super friends comic. And I, I, I cried when I met her. I was so, it was so emotional, uh, cause comics have been such a big part of my life. So if you get the chance, you know, don't, um, don't pass it up because, um, you know, you know, never know when you're going to get another chance. And, um, Unfortunately, I never got a chance to meet John Romita Sr., but uh, his comics, his uh, his talent, his generosity of spirit, all those things have contributed to what Spider-Man is today and, and what Marvel Comics is today. And uh, anybody who's a comics fan, I think, or a Spider-Man fan or a comics fan in general, um, owes him a, a debt. Uh, he really helped shape who Spider-Man is. Um, you know, visually and, and as a character, I mean, he had a, a lot of input into the um, the Gwen Stacy story where she uh, where she was killed. So, um, yeah, just an absolute legend. You're gonna see, hear that word thrown around a lot, but in this case, it's a hundred percent true. So, um, may he uh, may he rest in peace and condolences to um, to his whole family. You know, it's got to be a, a big loss to lose a, a beloved parent like that. So, uh, all right. That being said, uh, let's go ahead and dive into Amazing Spider-Man uh, as the first book we're going to talk about here. It's uh, issue number 27. 
written by Zeb Wells. Ed McGinnis is the penciler. Mark Farmer on inks. Marcio Menez on colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. Um, obviously, this is following the headline making, I guess we could say. Issue 26, where Miss Marvel died. Um, we also finally got some answers about what Peter Parker did to, to piss everyone off. Um, I guess the one thing about not having a new comic Wednesday episodes come out for the last few months is uh, you guys didn't have to kind of rant about dragging this ministry on far, far too long. Um, yeah, over two years. It, it's just terrible how long it took for this to uh, to come to fruition. But that being said, we do know it, it seems a little forced. I got to be honest. Um you know, Peter went and stole a bunch of technology and what have you from the Fantastic Four and the Avengers because he couldn't wait to ask permission because he was trying to go and rescue MJ. And she was only gone for a you know, short period of time for, for Peter, but you know, it was four years for her. That's where she met Paul, fell in love, all that sort of thing. So um, so that's kind of where we are with Amazing Spider-Man and, and with the sacrifice that Kamala Khan made last issue. We know she's going to come back, right? She's It's comics. She's too important of a character. But the death was impactful. It was emotional. Um, and I, I don't know if those issues are going to hold their value um, as modern best issues usually don't. But one thing you can say is it's been impact. It's impacted Peter, right? We see that in this issue and it's impacted Norman Osborn. And we're getting to see sort of an, a newish version of Doc Ock here. Um, he's on the cover. So that's not, uh, a spoiler that he's the villain in the issue and seeing Peter try to deal with his trauma, seeing uh, Norman Osborn try to deal with the trauma of Kamala. Um, yeah. The, the fallout from that death is still being felt. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. The Ed McGinnis art. I, I really like what McGinnis is doing on this book. He's, he's sort of toned down his over exaggerated, um, sort of cartoony, heavy line uh, style that he's had in the past, especially, uh, I think, back to his run on Superman. Um, you know, this is a much more, I don't want to say realistic style, um, because it's still very dynamic, um, and he still uses relatively heavy line weights, probably medium line weights as opposed to the heavy, heavy line weights he used to use. Um, but I, I like what he's doing. I, I think that the the lighter line weights allow his characters to have greater facial expression, which leads to more emotion, which this is a story that needs that because it is an emotional time for Peter, for Norman, less so for Felicia Hardy, um, the black cat. Not that she doesn't mourn the loss of Kamala, but uh, I think her, her main concern is making sure Pete's okay, which you know you sort of expect. Um, so Spider-Man's in a good place. I'm still enjoying this run quite a bit. Uh, glad we finally got the answer. And, and, and you know, in, in defense of, uh, of Zeb Wells, we probably would have got there soon, right, if there weren't this crossover and that crossover and what have you. But still, um, he could have he done it sooner. He didn't. Uh, it is what it is. And it, it did it drag on so long. It did sort of feel a little anticlimactic when we finally found out because it didn't seem like everybody should be so pissed off at him. Why was Aunt May mad? You know what I mean? She's going to care that he broke into Fantastic Four headquarters? Like, no. It didn't. So, I don't know. didn't exactly work 100%. But uh, anyway, let's move on. Next book I'm going to talk about is Old Dog Number 5. This is from writer-artist Declan Shelby. He handles everything, including the colors, except for the letters. That's Clayton Cowles. This is a story about... Um, it's really a great story. It's espionage. This guy was a CIA agent. Uh, he was around in the Cold War way back when. Uh, he was thrown at one point. So he was recruited by the, I think it was the KGB or, or some version of the, the KGB um, to become a double agent. And he was told by his family to go along with that, pretend like he'd been turned when he really wasn't turned, and that led to, to the Russians finding out about that and putting him in prison, the Russian prison. CIA was eventually able to get him out, but they never trusted him after that. They weren't really sure if they could, uh, and so they made him write a desk uh, for years, for years, and he always got the crappy assignments. 
surveillance, you know, sitting in a surveillance van for days at a time. And uh, he does that. And the two other agents go inside because something happens to pull them inside. And when he doesn't hear from them for an extended period of time, he goes in after them, looking for them. He ends up seeing that they're, they've both been killed. Uh, he finds some guy who's messing around with this sci-fi looking uh, console technology machine sort of uh, apparatus. And he, in shooting the guy, the machine explodes. He wakes up. His name's Jack Lynch. Jack uh, Lynch? Lynch. Anyway, Lynch. Jack Lynch. Uh, he wakes up eight years later from this coma and he has powers. We're not exactly told what exactly his powers are, um, but we know that he's got these abilities um, and he hasn't seemed to age in the last eight years. So um, he now works for a government agency called the Black Circle, that's even more hush-hush than the CIA, and they have their own agenda and they're sending them out on missions. And in this issue, we finally see the true extent of his abilities um, but we're not really sure what it means exactly, other than Jack Lynch seems to be kind of screwed and his powers are much different, much more powerful, but in a way not so great to have. Um, again, I'm trying not to spoil, but it's it, it's interesting. Um, the pacing, I will say, has been a little uneven. It feels like it's jumped around somewhat um, and there's events that we're not privy to um and so i don't know and it, it's, it's taken a while for this last issue to come out and even though the previous issue issue four came out so but it is a lot of work for shelby to do this all on his own um but it feels like there's some context missing there i, I wish that it flowed a little smoother but i i also understand wanting to lead the story forward um and the revelations that happened in this particular issue were about jack lynch and his powers were really interesting there's also the fact that his handler now that he's with Black Circle secretive agency is his, his estranged daughter. Um, that's interesting as well. So I'm really enjoying it, um, but I do wish that if story, some of the plot points were a little more fleshed out. If there's a couple of things that happened in the first two or three issues that we haven't gone back and explored yet, um, but, but there were hints that something was going on. We just haven't gotten there. So um, I'm hoping it's selling well enough that Shelby can continue. Maybe he can slow down a little bit because uh, it's so it's so strange. One of the things that I'm you know, talking about with pacing is we've covered a, what feels like a long period of time. Like he's been out of the coma for a long period of time. So in that sense, it's moving kind of quickly. But at the same time, we haven't gotten a lot of explanation about what's happened in that extended period of time that he's been awake. So in a way, it feels like, a, like time is passing very quickly, but the actual story is unfolding slowly, if that makes any sense. So it's a little it's a little weird, but the Shalvi art, uh, you know, if you're a fan of his art style, you're going to love this. This is him at his best, completely unleashed with some really crazy action scenes. And the fact that he gets to do the colors, uh, I think really helps the line work as well. So big fan of it. Would actually love to have him on to talk about it, which I've talked to Declan several times about having him on the show. Just never found the right time to uh, to make that happen. So, uh, all right. Up next, we're going to talk about Captain America: Cold War Omega. This is the final issue of the crossover, sort of. It sort of brings it to a close, but there are some plot threads that are left dangling. Uh, it's written by Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, and Tochi Onobuchi. Uh, the art is by Carlos Magno. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Um, colors by Guru EFX. I'm a big fan of what the hive mind has been doing on Captain America. Uh, it's been sort of hard to root for Bucky at times. And there's a page, a double page spread in here where basically um, after everything is said and done and the conflict is sort of resolved, maybe it's not even a double page spread, but it is a lot of dialogue from steve rogers um when his son um, son he had another dimension uh says think it through why why did bucky do everything he did and, and steve basically lays it out and explains why bucky did what he did so i appreciate that 
because it really fills in the blanks and anybody who was sort of confused and couldn't follow, couldn't read between the lines, it lays it all out and you understand. But to Steve's point, it's like, how do you, he still was affected emotionally by the choices that Bucky made to join the circle and join this, um, you know, secretive cabal and, he still feels betrayed. The emotions are still there. Even, you know, it's like that whole idea of the ends justify the means, right? Um, is that really true? Well, maybe it's true. Maybe Bucky's goal was noble, but if you hurt people along the way, that hurt, just because what they were doing was righteous doesn't mean it hurt any less when they betrayed you or lied to you or did whatever they did, right? So fantastic job by the hive mind making this emotional. I mean, they, they talked at the very beginning when I had them on, how they were really going to explore the relationship between Bucky and Cap, whether that can be repaired or not, you know, remains to be seen. Um, so ultimately this was a, a good story. It was a fun story. Um, I love, I just love what Jackson and Collie uh, and Colin bring to Captain America and, I'm sad. I'm really sad that they're not going to be on the book anymore because their whole run has been, has sort of been this, right? Has been this big overarching story. I sort of, and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love it, but I sort of am disappointed in a way because I would have loved for them to have some more, not necessarily one and done stories, but some stories that were, that, didn't feel so big in scope, if you know what I mean. Like sometimes you want those big stories um, where it's these, you know, world breaking ideas and these larger than life superheroes are, are literally saving the world in, in the pages of the comic. But other times you want stories that are a little lighter and, and entertaining and not that this wasn't entertaining, but just to kind of get like an everyday feel, like what is a monthly Captain America book feel like when it's him having, you know, one or two issue adventures in the hands of, of Jackson and Colin, right? Like I would like to have had a little bit of that. Um, but in addition to this, like, I don't want, I don't want this to be any less than it was. I just want more, uh, I guess. Um, I'm just greedy like that. I suppose kind of similar to how I felt about Christopher Cantwell's Iron Man run, you know, like it was one big story and it was great, but I loved his take on the character. So I would have just wanted more, that where everything wasn't tied into a big overarching story. And we did get that a little bit with Cantwell because at the end we got Tony buying up all the weaponry. We didn't get that with, uh, with Captain America with the hive mind. So anyway, recommend it. Definitely go and pick it up. Probably do some episodes at some point, diving into it in more, uh, more detail. Uh, all right. Well, I was really hoping Jay was going to be able to join me because we have a new uh, series coming from out from image, which is by one of his favorite writers, Doug Wagner. Um, you know, talk about a lot about previous series by Doug, like plastic and vinyl. And was there another one velvet or something like that? Can't remember. I know there's three of them that are named after um, materials. In fact, I think it's, there's an advertisement for it back of this book plush. That's what it is. There's plush, there's plastic, there's vinyl. Um, and so this one is called click, click, boom. The art is by Doug dabs. Colors are by Matt Wilson. Letters are by Ed Dukeshire. Um, excuse me. It's about this woman, the, the click, click, boom comes from the idea that the main character here, she takes a lot of pictures with a Polaroid camera. Um, and other than saying that it's going to be really hard for me to talk about this without it, um, without spoiling. <laughs> so I'm going to be super vague. It's crime noir. And this main character mysterious, we don't learn a lot about her. Uh, in the first issue, there is a POV character uh, as well, whose job requires her to, to be inquisitive, I suppose you could say. And so these two characters meet. And again, the POV character, I think, is going to be our, our window into what makes this main character uh, tick, I suppose you'd say. So it is crime noir. It does feel very gritty and urban. And I, I loved it. I loved it. I haven't read all of uh, Doug Wagner's previous stuff like, like Jay has. Um, and the art in this one, it, 
it's also a little more realistic and grounded than previous art that I've seen in plush and vinyl and plastic. Um, and it suits the kind of the gritty feel of the story, the visceral feel of the story. So this really surprised me how much I enjoyed this. Um, I'm totally in, totally sucked in, love the art, love this character. We don't even know what her name is. Um, but I'm all in highly recommended. Don't need to have read anything previous from these guys from, uh, Doug Wagner. Um, you can jump right in and kind of get the feel for, for what might be going on, um, with this mysterious character, but yeah, really, really good. Really impressed with that, uh, that first issue. Uh, okay. Up next, the panel penultimate issue of cosmic ghostwriters issue number four of five from writer Stephanie Phillips. Gio Villanova is the artist. Espin Grugin does the colors. Travis Lanham on letters. Um, we learned last issue that there's two ghostwriters, apparently. Two cosmic ghostwriters. And we find out why. We find out how exactly that's happening. Um, how are there two different cosmic ghostwriters? Is one Frank Castle? Is one an imposter? Like all those questions are answered here. Um Sort of. <laughs> uh, there's hints that even something bigger than we might think is going on at the end of this issue, which will be wrapped up in the final issue. I'm curious, most curious to know what that says about who Frank Castle and Cosmic Ghostwriter are as characters. How does Stephanie Phillips bring that all together? So I've been really impressed with what Stephanie has been doing on this title. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the Donny Cates version of Cosmic Ghost Rider, but this has been, and it's funny to say this, right? Because he's, he's Frank Castle, who has been dead, who's gone to hell, who's been Frankenstein, what have you, imbued with the power cosmic, flying through space. Like it's, uh, it doesn't sound like it would, I would use this word to describe it, but in the hands of Stephanie Phillips, this is a more grounded character, a character that feels more relatable. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just enjoying the run. And the art by Villanova is fantastic as well. Great colors by Grudergen. Um, I, I kind of don't want this to end. Like, I hope Stephanie gets to do another another issue, um, uh, another series. And I, and I can't wait to see how it all comes together. So we'll see how that uh, that plays out. All right. Up next, we have Immortal Sergeant. It's also from Image, created by Joe Kelly and Ken Nilmura. Uh, Kelly on words, Nilmura on art. Um, it's black and white. It's not an art style that uh, that is traditional in comics. It is, you know, more of a cartoonist style. And anybody who knows the Immortal Sergeant knows how irreverent he is. He's this old guy. Uh, police sergeant. He's headed toward retirement when the first issue starts. Something happens throughout the series that gives him a chance to bring justice to an old case of his, and his estranged son is sort of along for the ride. And what's really interesting about what Joe Kelly does here in writing this story is, you know, he writes this crotchety old guy who's stuck in the past. He's homophobic. He's racist. Uh, he, he justifies those things in a way that's humorous and you kind of take it with a grain of salt. You sort of like him, you sort of root for him, but you also know that some of the things he says are just, uh, you know, time has passed. This guy is stuck in the past. Time has moved on and he hasn't changed with the times and he's sort of irreverently and, and, uh, unapologetically who he is and his son is much more you know progressive and understanding and there's friction there and you, we find out in this story why their relationship like what it has been about certain aspects certain events in their lives that have sort of planted the scenes for acrimony throughout their relationship um but kelly manages to do it in a way that feels very real which is such a juxtaposition against kind of the, the cartoony art style, um, you know, the Sunday funnies art style of, uh, of Nilmura. Um, but with that exaggeration, with the, you know, the crazy 
elongation of anatomy and what have you, it allows Nilmura to bring a lot of emotion and impact to the art, which really makes those moments, those emotional moments feel like they land even harder. You know, those, those story beats really hit hard based on the, you know, exaggeration of anatomy or facial expressions or, or what have you. So this, um, from the first issue, I wasn't, wasn't sure how I would like it. Now it's one of my favorite series that's coming out right now. Like it is, it is such a fun ride. Um, but at the same time, very real and very emotional. So definitely recommend it. Uh, okay. Another, another series I'd recommend is Moon Knight. We're up to issue 24. Had Jed, Jed McKay on to talk about the series way back when it was in single issues. Uh, so he's the writer. Federico Sabatini is the artist. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by Corey Petit. What I love about this, and you know, we talked to Jed when he was on the first time about the whole multiple personality or dissociative identity disorder, whatever you want to call it, uh, of Mark Specter of Moon Knight. And, you know, the TV show was about to drop at the time. And, you know, he mentioned Marvel saying that they wanted him to stay away from that. And he did. He did to start. But then he brought it in. He brought it in. It's been part of what's been going on in the story for like the last six months, what's been going on in the series. What I love about it is that, you know, Moon Knight, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but, you know, the moon has phases. Moon Knight, Mark Spector has phases to his personality. To me, that that's how I sort of reconcile. Like, there have been times in the past where I've had people say, and I may even have said, like, I don't understand. I don't like the multiple personalities. I don't understand, like, why they got to make him crazy. I don't necessarily want him to be crazy, but, I, I, you know, I, I get it. Like, at some point, something clicked. I'm like, okay, he has these different personalities, aspects of his personality, because they're different aspects of him, just like there's different aspects of the moon based on time of the month and that sort of thing. So it makes sense, right? Um and that's what Jed McKay has been playing with, but he, he's sort of been reconciling these different parts of the personality of Mark Spector. That's what I love. And this particular issue, he uses a classic villain to sort of bring it all together. And there's almost a redemptive moment for that villain. And it's, it's something that I really love because so often when these uh, heroes have, you know, one particular villain that's like a nemesis that keeps coming back over and over and over. In a way, that's a very intimate relationship. Those characters get to know each other really, really well. Um, you know, there's that whole saying that that uh, you know, love and hate are you know two sides of the same coin. And so, it, it was a really impactful moment with uh, with Mark Spector and this other, or Moon Knight, I should say, and this other character. So I really enjoyed it. And there's hints of um, of what's to come, of who's really behind all the crap basically that moon knight's been going through uh in this last arc um villain is named you know in that moment he, he moon knight's asking for a name he finds out the name and so uh, i expect that to be coming in the next issue which issue 25 so expect an oversized issue and we'll see how it all plays out uh in the end uh all right up next i'm going to talk about black panther we have a new number one it's written by eve l ewing we have art by chris allen uh, or he handles the pencils, I should say. Chris Allen and Craig Young on inks. Jesus Arbatov on colors and Joe Sab, uh, Sabino on letters. Um, so we know that Wakanda has abolished their monarchy and made it a constitutional parliamentary, I think is what they call it, or democratic parliament or something like that. Um, and that didn't really work out too well. There were still people that were sort of loyal to the monarchy and in order to um, to kind of save the uh, Wakanda from a civil war, they exiled uh, they exiled Black Panther, they exiled T'Challa. Right, like you need to go, so things will settle down, and and you know you can show that you're not a figurehead or, or trying to still rule or or that sort of thing. But we know that T'Challa. Is, is just more than the ruler of, or the former ruler of Wakanda, right? Like he's Black Panther and Black Panther is the guardian of Wakanda and Wakandan people in a lot of ways. And so he's not going to just abandon. Um, so what it feels like to me in this first issue is this is 
And it's not the most original idea, but I love the way Eve Ewing is executing it. Like this idea of taking a hero and removing all the things that help him, right? Like he no longer has the throne, the power of the throne, the resources of the throne behind him. We know that uh, Wakanda, uh, Wakanda has been always depicted as this incredibly advanced civilization and um, their people are well off and prosperous. And that that maybe is not 100% true. And so what it feels like the series is going to be for me is uh, e-viewing, stripping down T'Challa to his most basic, showing that it's not the throne or the technology or the uh, powers that he has that make T'Challa a hero. Right, because he he's limited on his resources, he's limited on support, but he's still down there helping the people um, of Wakanda, maybe more on their level than he ever has been before. Right, because he's lost so much. Like some of them, they don't have much either. So I like that idea. It feels um, maybe a little political, maybe a little meta, talking about the haves and the have-nots, um, which is a recurring theme that's been going on in comics for a long, long time. Um, and so, uh, I really think that there's something worthwhile here. This is my, my favorite first issue of Black Panther comic in quite a while. It feels like they re- rebooted every two years. Oh, this is the best one I've read, um, that I can remember. So the Chris Allen art's really fantastic, really detailed, very bright, vibrant colors. And if you're looking to jump on Black Panther, it's a great jumping on point, very new reader friendly. Um, don't really need to have read past uh, issues to uh, to understand what's going on. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have On to the End. This is from Top Cow. Image uh, writer is Ryan Caddy. Art is by Andrea Muti. Letters by Frank Zidovic. Um, and from the little blurb we get in the, f- um, the front, it's 2050. Um, climate change has basically happened. The world is very different place, a more bleak place. And there's an island, supposedly the most haunted place on earth. And there's this guy who really believes in paranormal. Um, he's a billionaire. He has the resources and he recruits some people, some skeptics to go and check out this island before it's basically destroyed by the consequences of, uh, of climate change. And the, this first issue is sort of set up for that. And then them arriving on the island. So a lot of foreboding, a lot of uh, interesting aspects to the story. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I do recommend it. Uh, You can learn a lot more about this first issue uh, in an episode that's going to come out on Thursday. uh, Because I'm going to have Ryan Caddy and Andrea Muti on the show uh, to talk about this first issue. So there will be some spoilers in that interview um so be forewarned but uh i do recommend you check it out so if you're going to listen to the interview make sure you pick this up at your comic shop today and uh and give it a read and then come join uh me and ryan and andrea for the uh for the chat uh all right up next last marvel book i'm going to talk about it's captain marvel number 50. now this is bittersweet because it's an amazing issue from writer Kelly Thompson, who's been on Captain Marvel for all 50 of these issues. Uh, the art is by Javier Pina and David Lopez. Colors by Yen Nitro. Letters by Clayton Cowles. Um, and it's very heartfelt and it's very emotional. And it's everything I love about Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel. Like she, for me is the definitive Captain Marvel writer. Um, she just seems to understand Carol and the complexity of Carol's character better than any writer that I have read on Captain Marvel. Because Carol is a very interesting character. She's been through a lot. She's been around, you know, she's been around since the earliest days of Marvel. And between having her memories and powers stolen by Rogue, finding out that she, her mother was uh, a Cree, um, you know, the people that she's lost along the way, you know, thinking Rhodey was dead. She lost binary, uh, found out she had a sister. Like she has had a roller coaster ride and her alcoholism. Um, it's just a lot. And yet she's one of the most powerful heroes, you know, just in terms of power level in the Marvel universe. 
So there, there's all these peaks and valleys. There's all this complexity to her personality, um, you know, and her, her vulnerability um, because she is very self-aware of her weaknesses and of the trauma that she's been through in the past. And so she's always questioning herself. There's not an arrogance to her. And again, Kelly Thompson presents that in a way that makes Carol relatable more so than any, any uh, writer that I've ever read on her. So uh, I love this issue. I love that um, the, the huge supporting cast that have shown up throughout these 50 issues, a lot of them get a chance to make an appearance here. Certainly we see, uh, Carol's best friend, Jessica Drew, and a lot of the other characters that have shown up throughout the run. Um, and again, all about Carol dealing with her her trauma. And uh, I just, God, I just love this run. Um, it's just hats off to Kelly Thompson and all the various artists that have worked on this throughout the, throughout the run. It's just an incredible um, seminal run for me on, uh, on Captain Marvel. And I'm sad to see that Kelly's leaving. Uh, but I'm excited that she's moving over to DC to do Birds of Prey. Um, she just seems to have a knack um, with these strong women characters showing how badass they are while still having them be emotional and vulnerable and feel real. Um, and yeah, it's just just an incredible job um, by the whole whole Captain Marvel creative team on this final, final issue. So, uh, all right. Last book I'll talk about from Image, something epic. Created, written, illustrated by Simon Kurdansky. Um, this book is absolutely amazing. First issue blew me away. Simon is uh, really investigating some of these ideas that, that I've had as a, even a young kid many times um, in terms of the, the main character here. And this we got this in the first issue, so it's not a spoiler. He can perceive like more of reality than we can, right? Like as humans, we, we actually perceive a very, very, very small spectrum of the electromagnetic field that is energy. And he talks about, you know, matter and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It always exists and imagination and how everything is linked. When you think about it, I mean, whether it's energy or matter and even your thoughts and your imagination, those are electrical impulses in your brain. So it all has weight. So who's to say if something you think about is not really real. What does it mean to have real? So they're really big existential ideas, but he grounds it through the eyes of this young boy who can see all these things, but he's throwing a lot of adult problems at this kid, right? Whether it's his mom is a single parent, his mom get, getting sick, like all that sort of stuff. And the idea of, you know, what is real and visualization and pictures with a thousand words and, and all that sort of thing. And when you talk about doing something like that, like it's very ambitious story and very ambitious comic. Kredansky is such an incredible artist. It's like, while he's talking about this, while he's talking about a picture's worth a thousand words, you're getting art that is just transcendent and is, is it's right there as an example of what he's talking about. So I'm not exactly sure where the series is going yet. This this boy seems like he's just started to discover that he may be able to do something more with his abilities than just see these, you know, quote unquote, imaginary beings. Um, and so where that might lead, we'll have to wait and see. But in the meantime, there's a little bit of a horror aspect to it. There's a little bit of a fantasy aspect to it. But more than anything, there's incredible art, incredible art by Kredansky, where not only is he getting to draw the realism of, of New York City and the grittiness and the visceralness of that um, and the emotionality of uh, a young boy you know, losing a parent to a, a terminal illness, but he gets to draw all these other fantastical creatures um, in various styles. So it, I, I cannot recommend this book enough like the first issue just absolutely blew me away when i read the second issue it, it was even better and i i started thinking well you know this is the type of book that gets nominated for awards like it is that good it is an absolute must read and it's my book of the week as much as i wanted to pick captain marvel 50 um and maybe yeah, i'll say that's my co-book of the, the week but 
Um, I probably would have picked something epic issue one had I put an episode out um, when it dropped, but I didn't. Uh, so I got to give this props now. Um, and again, nothing against Captain Marvel because I absolutely loved issue 50 of that. And I've, I've picked Captain Marvel as my book of the week many times in the past. So I'm going with something epic issue number two. Um, absolutely amazing. So uh, let me give a rundown on some other titles you might want to be on the lookout for today. Animal Castle Volume 2 and Number 2 from Ablaze is out this week. Uh, over at Boom Studios, there is a Something is Killing the Children Number 1. It's a reprint of Number 1, but it's a pen and ink edition. I guess it's reformatted black and white. Gives you a chance to see uh, the art a little better. So, you know, maybe if you never got a chance to pick up number one, be curious about it. So you can check that out um, for DC. And again, you can hear all about these in detail on our DC spotlight that came out yesterday. So from DC this week, we had Batman Incorporated number nine, DC Pride through the years number one, second issue of Green Lantern from Jeremy Adams, Multiversity Harley Screws Up DCU number four of six. Uh, Sandman Universe, Nightmare Country, The Glass House, number three of six. That has been an absolutely amazing series from James Tynan. Spirit World gets its second issue of six. Uh, Static Team Up, Anansi, number one, where Static teams up with uh, this character that has um, sort of totemic spider-like powers um, from some African folklore. That was a very, very good issue. Superman Lost, number four of ten, from Christopher Priest. The most beautiful book that DC's putting out right now. Carlo Pugulian line work, Jeremy Cox colors. Book is just gorgeous. Uh, we also have the second issue of Waller versus Wildstorm, number two of four. And then finally, Wildcats, number eight. So again, you can hear about those in detail on our uh, DC Spotlight if you so choose. Uh, over at IDW, Star Trek is up to issue number nine. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has its 140th issue drop. Uh, from Image, in addition to the books I talked about, we've got Battle Chasers, number one. It's back, the Joe Mad series. He's writing it. Someone else is drawing it. Uh, also, Giant Cop Jew, number three of three. Art by Scott Koblish, written by Jerry Dugan. I would love to talk about that issue uh, or that series because it's completely irreverent and really funny. But uh, it's very mature themes. Um and so it's not really one that I feel like try to keep this more all ages, but if you're into giant kaiju and really crude humor, I guess you can check it out. Sex humor, what have you. Uh, Gunslinger Spawn is on issue 21. Uh, Monarch number five. I need to catch up on that series. I hear it's really good. Uh, it's about an alien invasion and a kid who might be the, the one to save the world. Um, and then Void Rivals number one which is a huge book coming out from Image and Skybound. That universe that Void Rivals is set in is going to tie into the Energon universe, I guess, that Skybound is going to be launching. And that Energon universe includes the Hasbro properties that they just got the license to. So G.I. Joe and Transformers. So if you're curious what that's going to entail when those series come back in October from Skybound, you're going to want to jump on Void Rivals number one. Uh, that comes out this week. All right. Marvel Comics. Uh, talked about a lot of them. We also have Carnage number 14 out this week. Clobber in Time, which is a Thing series, uh, number four of five. Doctor Strange is also up to number four. Uh, the Extreme Venomverse miniseries is up to number three. We've got Marvel Voices of Pride, number one, celebrating Pride Month. Planet of the Apes from David F. Walker has its third issue. Uh, Rogan Gambit. Uh, number four of five. I need to get caught up on that series. That's also written by Stephanie Phillips. We've got a son of origins of Marvel comics, Marvel tales, number one that reprints a lot of the stories um, of the origins of a lot of uh, Marvel heroes, spider Gwen shadow of clones, number four of five Spider-Man India, number one. I uh, wanted to get to that. just didn't have time. Haven't read it yet over in the star Wars corner of things, star Wars, Darth Vader, number 35, and Star Wars Asana Staros has its final issue, number five of five. And then we've got Wolverine, number 34, and X-Men Red, number 12, uh, over in the X-Men corner of uh, the Marvel Universe. Uh, from Titan Comics, we've got a new series kicking off, issue number one of four of 
Dead by Daylight, number four. Um, it's a prequel comic based on a best-selling horror game. I don't really know anything more than that. Um, so if you're a fan of the game, I guess check it out. I thought with that title, it would have something to do with vampires, but I, I couldn't really... It didn't say that in the description of the comic. So again, uh, I'm not really sure. So uh, anyway, that does it for the books uh, that I'm going to mention that are coming out this week. Uh, again, condolences to John Romita Jr. and the rest of his family lost a true legend with the passing of his father. I uh, hope you all have uh, a chance to, at some point in your comic reading careers, check out the amazing uh, contributions that John Romita Sr. Uh, gave us. So that's going to do it for this episode. Appreciate everybody listening as always. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. We are there. So just do a search for the comic source and subscribe. We appreciate the support as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.